0: Brought to you by the Young Planners Committee of the Royal Town Planning Institute, London Region. This is Young Planners Guide, a podcast created by young planners for young planners and with young planners in mind. This week, Young Planners Guide to Carbon Conscious Places. Your host this week.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode in our Young Planners Guide to Podcast. I'm Chloe Rutland, a planner at Prime Partners and member of the RTPI London Young Planners Committee. I finished my masters in spatial planning at UCL in 2019. I'm here with Tom Pemberton, a planner at JLL.
0: Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a planning consultant at JLL based in the West End of London. I've been with JLL for just over 2 years and I'm a chartered member of the RTPI and specialize mainly in residential education and ei projects
1: we're really excited to bring you the second full episode in our podcast series we're joined today by heather claridge who was as a former young planner of the year it feels very apt to have you on the podcast ever so thank you for joining us heather joins us today to discuss the recently launched carbon conscious places report which explores how we as planners and urban practitioners can design for a change in climate. The report looks at how planners can use a whole place approach to meet the challenges our profession is facing in terms of doing our bit to address the global climate crisis and also in meeting targets now set by the UK government through legislation to bring all greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050. The report seeks to rethink how we move about, how we live, how we support town centres, and how we become more self-sufficient. And I can't recommend giving it a read highly enough. It's got really great graphics, um, it's really accessible, and it also provides some some really useful practical insights. So a bit of background on Heather. She is a charter planner and urban designer with a background in geography. A Bit like everyone in planning, (laughs) we've seen so many of us. Heather is currently on secondment to Architecture and Design Scotland, where most recently she's been leading the body's work on place planning for decarbonisation. As part of this work, Heather's team recently launched the report Designing for a Changing Climate, Carbon Conscious Places, which we'll discuss a bit more today. Prior to being seconded at Architecture and Design Scotland, Heather has worked for Glasgow City Council since 2008, leading on a diverse range of spatial strategies, regeneration and green and blue infrastructure initiatives. She has helped build creative partnerships within Glasgow's canal corridor and supported the development of the internationally recognised Stalled Spaces initiative, a programme which enabled community groups and local organisations across Glasgow to develop temporary projects at underused sites within the city. She has also coordinated Glasgow's involvement in the Global Lighting Network, the LUCI, and led on its social cohesion pillar activities. In 2018, Heather won the RTPI Young Planner of the Year Award, and as a part of her prize, visited the city of Melbourne in Australia to explore how they are responding to climate challenges. Heather is co-chair of the Academy of Urbanism Scotland Advisory Group, RTPI Urban Design Champion for Scotland, and an affiliate of the UN Habitat Planners for Climate Action. In 2019 and 2020, she was listed as one of the planners' top 50 women of influence. So all-round heavyweight in planning. (laughs) We're really chuffed to have you on. I wondered if just to kind of begin, Heather, you could maybe tell us a bit more about how you came to your role at Architecture and Design Scotland and perhaps any kind of, um, some of the opportunities and challenges that you found kind of working as a planner in a in a design organisation.
2: Yeah, thanks. I'm delighted to be on this. It's really nice to speak and also speak outside a Scottish audience, which is great. Um, yeah, I... I came, I suppose, to apply. I had to apply for my secondment. Um, it was a post that I saw um, that Architecture and Design Scotland were advertising um, to help with this pilot to develop the project on place planning for decarbonisation. And I suppose I was interested, I'd worked for 10 years for Glasgow City Council in lots of different parts of planning and different services of the council. And I suppose I was really interested to just get a bit of experience out with a local authority context and at more of a national level um, and be allowed to kind of leave the, the remits of Glasgow City boundary, which is nice. I had previously worked in a different department of the council for three years, which was working on the sustainable legacy of the Commonwealth Games. And I think working on a team that was more about sustainability and working with other people who weren't planners, I really enjoyed that role. And I thought, Actually, this seems similar to that. So it was great. It's great to move over. And I had previously done some work, some partnership work with Architecture and Design Scotland, actually on the Stalled Space project that you mentioned Mm -hmm. around temporary activation of sites. And so I knew quite a few people across there and actually knew that they were a really interesting bunch of people. There's a couple of planners in uh, in the organisation that architects, urban designers, interior designers, sociologists so it's a really nice mix and i think it's nice to be in an organization where actually you don't know the same as the next person sat beside you or, or virtually sat beside you and actually you really feel like you can kind of add value so you know when i talk about things that planners would just naturally understand actually the person beside me who's maybe come from more of an architecture background or an interior design background thinks oh wow i'm, I'm learning something new which is quite nice and vice versa, I learn quite a lot about things uh, in terms of more of the architecture and design side that I didn't know before. So it's good. It's great. And I don't think there is any barriers because actually as an organisation, we are really set up to, to help people and help local authorities and help the public sector do more. And so I think we're an interesting, diverse bunch of people, which
1: is is really nice. Brilliant. And I think definitely sort of reading through the Carbon Conscious Places report, it strikes me that it's so important. There's that kind of cross-sectoral kind of cut across, I think, because I don't think it would have worked if a development management planner had written it on their own or an architect had written it on their own. So um, just kind of leading on from that, I, I don't know if you could perhaps outline maybe just a few of the, there's eight key principles in the report, aren't there? But maybe just a few of the most important ones.
2: Yeah, um, and exactly that. I mean, even pulling together the, the eight was really interesting and enriched by the fact that we did, had people who, you know, I was working directly with the landscape architects and architects in my kind of small team. And I think things like principle five, which is about reuse, repurpose and think about whole life costs. I think it's naturally I think about land reuse because especially in Glasgow, we've got so much vacant land and repurposing of existing structures like the canal corridor or railway network for cycling infrastructure. But actually thinking about whole life costs and embodied carbon isn't something that I'd necessarily really, you know, thought a lot about. And so that was great um, kind of working with, um, you know, colleagues who had been more involved with the sustainability you know, construction side of projects. Um, so that was an interesting um, principle. The others, I suppose, are, are back to good planning. You know, thinking about place, how do you respect the place, the assets in it? How do you work with people and get them involved in the design process? Um, thinking about sharing, I think was a really interesting. So one of the principles is a place that um, supports sharing. And I think when we're thinking about climate change and carbon conscious lifestyles, um, actually, you know, thinking about car clubs, uh, you know, cycle hire schemes, sharing of tools, even sharing of buildings, sharing of, you know, accommodation, I think is all part of reducing the impact um, you have. So that was an interesting one. And and when we did um, a bit of work to develop these eight principles, that was something that actually a lot of the local authorities hadn't necessarily thought about as sharing is a is a key thing that we have to encourage and sort of embed into our plans. Um, but yeah, I mean, the eight are not a set of solutions by no means, but they're just almost prompts to get you to think about that whole place approach. And I think some, as I said, are rooted in good planning which is great mm-hmm. that actually you know if we do good planning we can address climate change
1: definitely i think that's really important for us as young planners to hear i think it's it's really good to kind of set that ambition and i think sometimes we can all get a bit lost in the day to day but actually why why did why did most of us go into planning and i think a lot of that would kind of boil back down to you know how can we how can we improve the built environment and, and make it more socially and environmentally sustainable? Um, Tom, do you want to chip in with the next?
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I thought um, one of the point the principles I know was a network of small distance places. And that was really interesting. How you use the example of the border railway, which I know um, was kind of out of commission and then has been brought back into uh, commission over the last uh, couple of years. And interesting how that's kind of connected essentially a series of small little towns or uh, villages on kind of in the borders up um, both together and more movement via public transport um, using the train, but also opening up um, linking to Edinburgh, for example, if people want to use public transport to commute to work, which I thought was really interesting example. I was going to kind of move on in terms of in the report it kind of describes a learning by doing approach and um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the pilot projects in the research and how they came about.
2: I think the learning by doing approach is something that we really wanted to to do because we knew a little bit about you know what might be some of the solutions or what might be some of the barriers. But I think there was a lot, we didn't know, how do you scale it up? You know, how do you scale it up to a whole place scale or settlement scale? And what are some of the realities? Like we work in the public sector, so we're not naive to the fact that we're under reducing resources. People are being asked to do more with less so I think we really wanted to test out what's a practical approach to this so we did a call out to through and our heads of planning network in Scotland to see if local authorities were interested in getting a bit of support for from us um But I suppose the exchange was that we would get insight from actually having a practical project. So it's not theoretical, it's rooted in something that's a live place. We got a really good response back and we sort of whittled it down to four pilot projects based on... A variation in geography, issues, scale, and stage the projects were at. So again, when I said it was nice to get outside, you know, the city council boundaries, it was great to get before uh, lockdown, get up to Shetland and get up to uh, Elgin and Murray and um, Loch Lomond and the Trussex National Park and actually see, you know, places, which was really really good. So yeah, there are four uh, our Shetland uh, Elgin City Centre. Loch Lomond and the Trussacks, so Strathard's one of the biggest areas, and Glasgow. So, Glasgow's the one that's quite close to uh, some of the work that I was doing uh, when I was working for the city council. And yeah, we worked. Um, so, our kind of support was through workshops. And we use lots of different tools and techniques to try and get people to think differently about the situation. And um, so we use things like timelines. So actually, what does 2050 look like? We had two different scenarios when we worked in Strathard and Loch Lomond in the Trossachs National Park of one that was like a sustainable growth model of investing in climate action and the other was almost um, not investing in climate action and you've got a decline in population so that was really interesting to kind of show almost you know actually doing nothing is going to mean that the area will not be livable in the future you know by 2050 and in Shetland we use personas which was the first time I'd used personas in a workshop setting and it was great because we had five different types of people who would be the first residents in the area and how could they actually be supported their specific needs to live a lower carbon lifestyle and I think that helped and we were doing it with the councillors with the local elected members and they were thinking oh okay right if I don't if I don't make a decision to put in the bus infrastructure first or the PATH networks closed off, actually people are going to be disadvantaged. And it's not just about, oh, you can drive in your car. If you're like a 13-year-old kid or if you've got mobility issues, you're actually not living a quality life in in the the development. So I think that really hit home of kind of putting it almost in the needs of people. Um, You know, how do we actually, you know, create good good carbon habits versus bad ha- carbon habits. And I think that's so important on big developments where they're like a 10-year build-out. Mm. What is it like to be the first resident? And because you don't necessarily know who's going to be moving in there, it's really hard. You can't just do an engagement with the, the local community because actually there isn't a community there. Yeah. Um, so that was good. So I learned a lot about just being in a different environment as well, being uh, working with different people and Obviously, we were able to sort of translate that into eight principles that we thought are rooted in kind of practice. They're practical, helpful things, um, but also they're aspirational as well, because that's what we want. Like places to sort of strive to make sure you're doing better than we're doing at the moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's so much to be said as well for that kind of workshop type approach in terms of getting people to think outside the silo of their sort of day to day work, which. It's it's a completely natural thing to happen that you you know you'd only think about the things that you don't do day to day. But I think when you can say to someone, oh, if you place yourself in in that position or in that situation, and it, it's really it's really um, it's really enlightening, I think. So sounds like a yeah a great way to do things
2: it was fun as well I think the thing about it was fun because in one of the personas we had as like a climate activist but her dad worked at the local oil refinery in Shetland (laughs) so um, the counsellors were saying oh I bet they have interesting conversations at the dinner table so it's almost like they really got into like you know thinking about this role play of like wow we're this character and I think again that brings things like you know, a two-dimensional master plan to life. It's about people and the, and the life that people will live and the conversations that they'll have, which I think is a great, you know, it's, it's such a powerful tool. And I think it was so good to see um, the counsellors sort of get behind that and, you know, actually enjoy it as well, because I think that's it. It's like workshops should also be fun. You know, you're, you're planning a place, you're making a new community and that should be actually a fun, fun thing to do i think we as planners probably think that's you know that's why we got into planning as you said because we love you know actually thinking about you can create places um so it's nice to be able to kind of share that with other people as well
1: i think um for me reading through the the pilot projects as well something that i found really useful as a practitioner and i'm not sure if this was deliberate but the choice the choice of project, projects that you chose it was a real spread across um, different development stages was that was that a conscious decision?
2: Sort of, I'd love to say yes but <laughs> actually um, it wasn't, it, we didn't intend to do that at the start so we were when we did the call out to local authorities, we were looking for projects at a really early stage, because obviously we would say getting at the earliest stage to have the biggest influence. But the one in Shetland came to us, which was already a master plan for the neighbourhood that had been developed and had been adopted by the council. So they were at that stage where they, as a council, had organised themselves to be the project implementation board. So to deliver the project, it's going to be public sector led. Um, and they'd set themselves up in different work streams. And we thought there was something in it that we could say, well, OK, climate change wasn't necessarily a driver for the project at the start, albeit it's good urban design principles your master plans rooted on. But actually, how do you practically at that stage where you've got a project, deliver that? And it was really interesting because when we got into the conversation with them about, well, what's the order of what's your phasing of the development? Like what do you do first? They had a little bit of demolition. And we were saying, okay, well, have you got your landscape strategy? Because you might be able to use some of the material on site. And if you don't, then that's probably something you need to do. How are you communicating where those uh, different uh, waste is going to? So actually, again, that's carbon savings because they keep it on the island. They don't take things off. So we're kind of saying that's a communications thing that you could be saying, we're doing great things in terms of circular economy. So that was that was interesting to be at that stage where it was like, we have something that's a master plan. And, and I think, it, again, it gave us a bit more learning because we never you never get involved in a project at quite at the stage that you want to get involved in. It. There's always been something that's gone before you, be it another master plan or a strategy or something like that. So it does show you that you can still have good influence, even if you come in at a stage where, have not been involved in the hand before you can still you can still kind of yeah help with the project so that was good and and again because we were talking about a practical actual place it was like we were really feeling like we were being kind of helpful in terms of you know some of the things that we were doing.
0: Uh, Yeah it's useful it's interesting to hear how it was pushed I guess from the local authority side one question I had was around the private sector side of it you know um, in terms of from the developer side do you think extra measures need to be in, put in place to kind of encourage uh, the private developers to um, think more i guess holistically about delivering carbon conscious places and getting local people engaged early on in the process when designing these these kind of places these new you know new settlements
2: yeah definitely um i mean i think i suppose the report has been designed to be picked up by public sector and private sector so you know it can it can be picked up by and a community group thinking about you know developing a new local plan or a place plan so i think in terms of yeah definitely i mean i think the private sector working with the public sector working with the community is absolutely how things need to be shaped up so we know that one sector can't just do it by themselves so yeah i mean it would be interesting and great if there is a project that you know was a master plan being developed by private sector that gets picked up and says, I'm going to use your eight carbon conscious principles to shape the master plan for it. And I think good thing, I suppose, what we would champion is to do a master plan uh, is really important and to have that as a collaborative process. And hopefully, you know, the report kind of tries to set out that, that you have to do it in a collaborative way, because I think the worst, I suppose, developments that we see haven't had a master plan and have been more piecemeal. And you can't think about that whole place approach. And I think also there's a lot of discussion about in the context of net zero carbon, where it's like people are very focused on just the buildings or just the offsetting. And actually, again, it's like it has to be the combination of things. I think that's it. Um, you know, to be that whole place approach and truly thinking about, yeah, how do we become more climate resilient? So I'm not sure if that answered your question. I think there's a, there's something about the stick and the carrot, isn't there? It's like, you have to show people. And I think that's why we designed the visuals to be alluring. You know, there are places that people know, Absolutely. but you want to live there, you want to go there. And I think that's it. It's like, we were trying to give a vision of 2050, which actually is achievable, but also desirable. And I think everyone can get behind that public sector, private sector to do it. So I think there's that sort of like stick and carrot. So some things that need to be rooted in policy and standards and things like that, and some things that need to be almost that nudge mentality to get us all working, because we all know it's what's going to help.
1: I think something that I found quite interesting as well, um, just kind of in parallel Prior and partners are undertaking a, a piece of research coming out in the new year about um, new communities in the UK, and it's it's kind of a, a historical review of perhaps where we've gone a bit wrong in terms of bolting on, you know, housing estates of two, three hundred detached homes, and and how that that's created a lot of a lot of places which are essentially quite unsustainable. Um, but we also speak a lot about the kind of places where people want to live and. And what makes a place child-friendly and and what makes it walkable and and actually reading reading through the carbon conscious places report it all ties in and i think you know if we're going to take anything anything from that it's that we're all working towards the right aims it's just it's just kind of capitalizing on that and delivering on it we have one final question that we ask all our guests who admittedly are usually london-based so maybe you can switch it up a bit um but we like to ask what one thing would you do or change if you could be mayor of london or maybe mayor of um is it glasgow city region for the day um what would you what would you change what would you do um and yeah there's no limits to it
2: that's a really good question um and i think i could be either london or or glasgow we don't have a mayor in glasgow but um I think it you know I think good leadership is what you know we're all looking for in places mm-hmm. but I think if I was um mayor for the day um and it was just one day I'd probably introduce a national day of place because I think there's you know you could think about the different interventions but actually and I think this has been brought to the fore with with covid and and lockdown that actually people care about their place a bit more now you know place matters and I think if you had a national day of place and if you were only mayor if I was only mayor for the one day I would put that (laughs) into be enshrined in law that there's a national annual year of place um, for the foreseeable next century to come Um, (laughs) and where maybe people think about yeah what what they love about their place what they might change in Scotland we've got the place standard tool which is a wheel of 14 different criteria which helps um, communities and groups and and officers and sort of think about their place so that's an exercise people could do so perhaps maybe there'll be a on the the place day you might go out and do your place standard and sort of rate how your place was Uh, functioning and what you might want to improve on it so I think that would be a good one because I think that's it It's like we need to mainstream this don't we that's like we as planners and urban designers know what good places look like but I think actually people sort of forget or take that for granted um, Mm. and it's maybe disconnected with the choices that they make about where they live Mm. yeah and then they wonder why it's maybe not you know functioning quite as well as they it could be Mm. and so a national day of place that would be my my
1: campaign to introduce as mayor for one day. I love it. I think it's a great idea. Maybe lots of um, car-free street parties or something like that. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Heather. It's been really, really interesting to hear all about the report. Um, And if you are interested in Heather's work, you can follow her on Twitter. Her handle is at hmc four seven four. And you can also follow the work of Architecture and Design Scotland on Twitter. Their handle is at A-R-C-D-E-S-S-C-O.
0: And remember, you can follow us on Twitter using the handle at RTPI underscore London, or just search Young Planners London and RTPI London on LinkedIn. You can also use the hashtag YPLondonguide to follow our conversation.
1: So we'll wrap it up there, but thank you so much, Heather. It's been really great to speak to you. Thanks a lot.
0: See you in two weeks' time.